Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I told you yesterday the weather changed. Oh my. But again, you guys back east think we're all very funny over here because tonight's going to be like 20, 22 degrees, you know, and and yeah, yeah. And for us, that's freezing out here in California. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. Welcome to California Haunts Radio. I heard the applause. Thank you. Applause is a good thing. Tonight, we're broadcasting live over Facebook, YouTube, and tw- Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and from our website at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. So we got four places we're broadcasting live to you. But again, I want to welcome everybody here. We are the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We're 35 strong up and down the state of California. Uh, Washington, we have a team, and Nevada, and some people, and we have we have a small handful of team in Hawaii. We're a nonprofit organization, which is why I have that uh, ticker tape thing going along the bottom, because we have to pay bills like everybody else. And those bills come out of my pocket. So if the computer breaks or something goes wrong or a mic goes down, I have to pay for it. So if you guys could be just so kind as to help me out a little bit to keep this thing on the air and keep us rolling with with, with really good shows, excuse me, I would really appreciate it. You know, you can do that at uh, paypal.me at California Haunts. Or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, you can do that at Venmo. And then just type in California Haunts. And boom, there, zowie, there we are. Boom, zowie, zowie. I always think comic books, you know, like, Superhero comic books. Boom, zap, zow, like the old Batman show. Anyway, we have a great guest tonight. He's come back. The first time he was on, we had tech, there was technical difficulties beyond our control. So hopefully tonight's a little better. But uh, he and I got into a really hot conversation about shapeshifters, like vampires and stuff. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun ride tonight. Okay. I want to let you guys know that tonight, I promised you guys I was going to do it last night, but <coughs> I got I, I was busy doing updating the website. We are going to be doing ghost tours again. Well, I heard you guys. I heard that cheer. What's a ghost tour? Ghost tours are not like anything you would go on with just a tour group. No, 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 no. We've got all this high-tech equipment that we use when we're out in the field. So when we take you on a ghost tour, it's usually at one of the uh, old old hotels here in the area. We will take you in and you will become a member, an instant member of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team. You get to use our equipment, you get to gather your evidence, and we also all get to go over that evidence. And then, at the vet, right after we go over the evidence, if you got any of that evidence, because we always post the stuff on the website, you will get your name on the website, okay? Just saying, so-and-so got this, got this EVP, or so-and-so, you know, was, was having issues with his EMF meter or whatever, his or her EMF meter. That's one of the perks. Plus, it's not over yet, T-shirts. You know, we could either get you a California Haunts Radio t-shirt, which are pretty cool. It's not that logo. See that logo behind me? Head down. There we go. They have that logo on them. Or we have a California Haunts Ghost Hunting Academy t-shirt. That's pretty cool. So you'll also get a t-shirt for for participating. So like I said, um, check us out probably around midnight Pacific tonight, and I should have everything updated. I don't know where we're going to go hunting yet, but I'll have everything else on there, information for you guys. Okay? Anyway. Now we can get down to business. John could 
We're going to get John up right now. <laughs> My mouth is like, ah, there. I just had a big bowl of oatmeal, you know, heart healthy oatmeal, but it feels good. It felt good today because it's cold. Because I worked out front today. Anyway, so I'm going to get John up and we can get going on this. And hopefully we don't have the same issues we had last last time. Bye. Okay, here we go. I said bye. Listen to that. I'm losing it. Hello. Hello, Charlotte. Hey, it's looking better this time. So you haven't stopped moving yet. This is a good yeah, sign. You're right. <laughs> That's right. So far, so good. <laughs> Thank you for coming back after the last time. Oh, my <laughs> pleasure. Like, okay. We and I had a great conversation about vampires and stuff. And I want to get into that again for it because everybody liked it. In fact, a lot of people came to me and said, you know what? All that shape-shifting stuff was creepy. And I said, okay, good. I'll have him back then. Okay. You know? There so tell everybody about yourself. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in... <laughs> so, you know. Well, I was born in poor Alabama, and yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I went to grammar school. At, uh, no, my, uh, I mean, the short of it is that uh, I'm, I'm a writer first of um, fiction and nonfiction. You know, a lot of, a lot of different books. Uh, five, uh, well, actually, six ghost books. Five ghost books that are nonfiction. A ghost novel, mm -hmm. uh, paranormal novel, uh, and I'm working on actually a paranormal novel now as I'm speaking. Um, so I'm a writer first and sort of a paranormal investigator second. Uh, but I've been doing this now. Let's see. Well, my first book was in 2004. Mm -hmm. So it's it's been quite some time that I've been doing this. And I've, I've investigated paranormal locations um, all across the United States and in several countries uh, abroad as well, uh, working with various teams. You know, people like you, mm -hmm. um, I get invited by various teams to say, hey, you know, we're doing an investigation at a haunted house in in L.A. Uh, do you want to join us? I'll say, yeah, sure. Um, so I go along. And when I'm on these uh, investigations, I try to act primarily as a journalist. So I go in being as objective as possible. Give my finger know. the right spot. Of the okay, there we go. Do yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm just doing it because I'm a journalist. So I'm like, yeah, okay. Uh, okay, yeah, for journalism, yeah. yeah for journalism. <laughs> yeah. for journalism. <laughs> So, yeah. Well, you know, for many years, I taught at Ohio University. In fact, I'm still on their, their faculty in creative writing. Um, and they have an excellent school of journalism there. Cool. Uh, Scripps School of Journalism, one of the best in the country, actually. So um, anyway, and I was a journalist uh, at Cincinnati Inquirer for a while, too. So and magazine. So I, I've done virtually every kind of writing that you could imagine. I've, I've done it, you know, over the years. Um, I do writers' conferences. I do paranormal conferences. I speak at nice. universities, libraries, shows like yours. You know, <laughs> cool. So, that, so that's me in a nutshell. So we're lucky to have you tonight. Then this is great. Let's talk about shapeshifters. People are creeped out about shapeshifters. <laughs> what makes people so so get so many willies over over that? Why? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, for one thing, is because you never know what you're looking at, right? Right. I mean, if you're talking about, uh, you know, some of the old classic horror movies like The Mummy or something, well, you know what a mummy looks like when it comes at you with his bandages wrapped up, you know what he is, or a zombie, you know what that is. But if a shapeshifter is something that is unidentifiable simply because at any one time it could be anything, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's part of the uh, the scary part of it. Also, I think part of the allure of the shapeshifter character is that it can be anything. Uh, in a lot of ways, it gives into, uh, you know, sort of some wish fulfillment that that we may have inside ourselves to 
be something better, something stronger, something magical, something with more power, uh, to be a superhero, you know, whatever you want to say. Um, so shapeshifters, I think, are popular uh, because of that reason. They, they appeal to us in a very human way. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't find a lot of connections with a zombie. You know, right. I mean, I'm, I'm alive. <laughs> a, I'm alive. <laughs> you know, so um, I, I don't see that. But, but I can understand a shapeshifter. I can understand uh, humans transforming or wanting to transform mm-hmm. to something else. Or, as in a lot of the old fairy tales and folk legends, uh, being cursed. Mm-hmm. And, and being changed to something else against their will, involuntarily. So when we talk about shapeshifters, like you say in folklore, we're talking people like like uh, Count Dracula, maybe werewolves, things like that? Sure, yeah. I mean, that, that's some of the stereotypical shapeshifters that we think of today. Werewolves, probably number one, mm-hmm. you know. And there's, there's so much in terms of uh, werewolf stories and in popular culture, novels, movies, you know, you name it. Um, so I think when people think of a, shape, a shapeshifter today, they think primarily of a werewolf. Mm-hmm. Uh, vampires, yeah, also to some extent, although that idea of a vampire as a shapeshifter didn't really start until Bram Stoker wrote Dracula toward the end of the 19th century. Um, prior to that, vampires were more like um, more like zombies in the sense that they were a lot they were they were dead but they were alive feeding right. on basically the life substance the life force that, that wasn't necessarily blood it was mm-hmm. sort of ambiguous as to what it was but it was the life force of human beings but they weren't shapeshifters mm-hmm. um, and then Bram Stoker in his novel has a couple of scenes where it's clear that Count Dracula shapeshifts at one point into a bat where he's right. banging against the window trying to get in and another point, uh, Jonathan Harker, who is you know the main main character in there, one of the main characters, um, as he's looking out the window of, of Dracula's castle, he sees Dracula crawling down the wall of the castle. Oh, that's right, I remember. Yeah, I mean, head first, like a squirrel or something. Just you know, so what is what was he doing? <laughs> what had he transformed into to do that? You know, um, right. And after that, I think uh, you know the novel was very successful. And I think that idea of, of a shape-shifting vampire sort of just became almost the status of all vampire stories after that. They Almost every one of them became some kind of a shape-shifter, and mostly a bat, mainly because that's what Stoker said at the beginning. You know? What I find interesting about the shape-shifter in history is that it's not only one culture that talks about them. I mean, it goes way back with the Native Americans even. Oh, it goes back much further than that. Yeah. Well, I mean, as far as here, you know, with the, Native, with the Native Americans we have, you know, the, there are stories of them, but I know, I know they go much further, you know, much further back. Who do right. you, what do you think is the first, uh, I don't know if you know this, you know, one of the earliest accounts of, of a shapeshifter? Well, I, you know, we don't have historical record, anything written down, but there's right. a cave in France um, called uh, Trois Frères, the three three brothers. My French is not very good, but that's supposed to say three brothers in French. Um, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, and guys. there's uh, there on the on the wall. There's a cave painting, and it's in my book. I have the drawing of it, and my book Shapeshifters: A History. It appears there, and this this uh, cave painting literally shows what looks like a deer, uh, but it's standing up on its hind legs. 
And instead of paw, instead of hooves, as you would expect on the deer, uh, it looks like it has fingers and toes. Now we know wow. deers don't have that, right? So what's right. that about? And then if you look at the face, the eyes of the deer are like ours. They're center forward instead of to the side, like you know they are in a real deer. Um, so what anthropologists believe this shows is they believe it shows the transformation of a shaman into a deer. Mm -hmm. Now, what you know, what's that about? Did, did it really happen? Well, what they think right. is that it was probably what they call hunter magic and which uh, a shaman would get together. The hunters of the tribe would get together sitting in the cave mm -hmm. and the shaman would say, okay, you know, we're going to go out and we're going to get deer. So he would draw this image of a deer on the cave. Uh, and then probably the hunters would probably take some hallucinogenics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, in South America, you know, ayahuasca or something, or maybe uh, magic mushrooms, you know, whatever. But something to put them in a, in a different state, a different mental state. And the shaman would be chanting and singing or whatever he would do um, to get the guys, the hunters, to think that, okay, we are now changing. We're transforming into deer or whatever the prey was. Mm -hmm. Of course, the idea is if you are a deer, you know, how you can get right up to the herd, right? It'd be very easy to hunt one. So that was the whole idea behind that. Uh, you know, do they really change into deer? Well, probably not. But that's almost um, that's almost inconsequential. It doesn't really matter because the idea was that they thought they had. And they well, you know, they had. Well, I had a case out in Rockland, and um, it was on it was on old Native American land. I'm trying to adjust this so I can see. Oh, there I am. Um, so I can read the comments too. I'm I'm lying. You know, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this case, this particular case, she was in her spa, and she happened to look over the fence. And she saw a Native American dressed in what she thought was deer skin, and he had antlers on his head. And as you're as you're talking about this ritual that they have with, pe with peyote or whatever the heck you know, and I don't want to insult any Native Americans. Don't get the wrong idea. I have a lot of respect for that, you know, for that culture. But maybe, like you say, that's what was happening. Is somebody would one of the medicine men would dress up as this, you know, in all this deer skin and everything, and then when these. Once everybody had their 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 happy cigarette, you know, <laughs> this is what happened, you know, and that's what. Oh my God, it's a deer, you know, mm -hmm. shape shifted. Right. I find this very fascinating because there's so many reports. Like you say, it's not just Native American culture; it's all over the world. It doesn't matter where you go, right. and they've taken it. And what I find interesting too is they've taken it into modern stuff. You know, you, you have the you have the Twilight, you have Star Trek. You know, when when Kirk was involved with was I think the actress Iman was the actress and she played a shapeshifter in there. And now I forget. You know, I think I think yeah. She I think they were on the that planet where where they were on in prison, the Klingon planet. And he and she appeared real beautiful. And then he kissed her and then she turned into this other thing. And you know and all this and what's on. Yeah. So yeah. you see that stuff. Yeah, you see that stuff all the time, even in modern times. And see Athena says, also wearing bear skin and head. Yes, 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 they do. And then you got skinwalkers. Is a skinwalker a shapeshifter or no? Or do you think? Yeah. Really yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's part of their whole their whole deal is that um, they are they are shapeshifters and they're 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 pretty tough characters. I mean they're not uh, they're not what you'd call you know nice people. I guess right. as we look at it. Um, and if you invoke uh, a shape, if you invoke a skinwalker, 
you're doing it for a reason that is probably to get back at somebody to cause damage to cause harm maybe to kill somebody um and and the skinwalkers will you know they they do that and they um Typical transformation sometimes into like a coyote or a wolf or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the Native American uh, nations that do have that belief in skinwalkers are are deadly serious about it and, you know, don't even like to talk about it. They don't they think even so much as talking about skinwalkers could bring them down on them, you know, right, so right. Uh, so they, they try to avoid that, you know. Well, you gotta give you know you gotta give credit and credence to their beliefs because I mean, I'm off to the side here. I mean, these people, it's the same people that have believed in Sasquatch as well. And, and I mean, it's not only them seeing the Sasquatch. I mean, it's it's it's, it's truckers. It's everybody. Just like with the Skinwalkers, you know, there's there's guys that are out trucking at night, late at night, you know, and they'll see these things on the side of the road as they pass by. And there's a lot of reports like that. So there has to be something to it. Well, people are definitely experiencing, you know, phenomena that they're calling shapeshifters, whether it's uh, among, you know, Native American nations or whether it's in Europe or wherever it might be. Uh, there's accounts all around the world of people having encounters with shapeshifters. Um, so, yeah, I, I always say, well, to your point, there, there's enough cases and enough, I don't want to call it evidence, but there's at least enough anecdotal uh, incidents that, you think well what what are people experiencing what what is right. it that there's you know uh and i'm not the kind of person you know like i did a lot of ghost hunting and everything else with my books sure. and i'm not the kind of person that says well if something happens in a house an object moves by itself or something right. i don't immediately say well it's got to be a ghost you know uh i mean i'm i'm more i'm prone to rule out everything else that i can first yeah, and, right. and even then, I'm not sure that I can say, okay, I've ruled out natural phenomena, laws of physics, so I don't know what this thing is or what how it happened. Does that still mean that it was a ghost or does that still right. mean that it's paranormal, which is something right. out of right. the normal? That's all it means. See, when something moves, when I'm on location or somebody reports something moving, my first thought is I want to go look at the earthquake charts. Yeah. See what the seismic activity was that day. I have a, I have a great story. So I was I was visiting California at one point many years ago, and I was in my hotel room. I even forgot what I was out there for, but it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And I'm in there, and as I'm in there, I hear like something rattling, not not loudly, but just like a, a continual rattle. And I'm looking around the room, going, "What is that?" And I see it. There was a big, you know, TV monitor on the on the dresser, and mm -hmm. it was shaking a little bit. And I said, well, what, what is that about? And I went over to it, and there was a table lamp next to it on the table. Mm -hmm. And this monitor was shaking a little bit. And all of a sudden, the lamp literally did boom, boom, boom. I mean, it hopped like three times across the, <laughs> across the dresser. And now, uh, I'm not a California boy. I grew up in New England. We don't right. have that. You don't have stuff doing that, no. Well, and the thing was, I mean, it turned out that, yeah, it was, uh, you know, an earthquake, a, a mm -hmm. minor earthquake. But nothing else in the room, and you probably know this, that's news to me, but nothing else was moving. It's just sure. that these two objects felt the vibrations, but nothing else did. I didn't feel it. Yes. You know, I got a story so, about that. My neighbor's, so my, on, my, my neighbor's on the fault line. My neighbor, uh, off, my, my, my neighbor off to the south is on the fault line. Anytime there's like, well, I, I felt a couple here in recent years, but like in past years, the real big earthquakes, because they used to have, um, you know, um, beads hanging in their windows. Oh. They, they were yeah. old-timey neighbors. 
And she would run over and go, Did, didn't you feel it? And we'd be like, feel what? She says, my beads were going like this. Right, right. But it's weird. That's how earthquakes hit. It's yeah. really strange. Yeah. So, I mean, this is my point. You know, if, if I were in a, a haunted location, supposedly right. haunted location, and I saw that, that might say, you know, somebody might say, oh, well, that was a ghost. Well, if it was a haunted location in California, maybe it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. so, so you have to take all that into, into account, you know. Right, um, right. So I mean the same thing with all the with the shapeshifter sightings. You, Absolutely, you know. Athena says they uh, we, we had Wendigo. Wendigo, yeah. Wendigo, yeah. Wendigo. I'm sorry, guys. I told you I can't see. Yeah, in Nova Scotia, where she lives. Yeah, yeah, and Wendigo too. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we have them in the upper upper Midwest, like Minnesota, Wisconsin, those areas primarily, uh, and they too are shapeshifters. They're they're not unlike um, skinwalkers in the sense right. of being malicious malevolent you know so are they always like you say are they always are they generally violent or are they just you know they're just kind of like the the men in black or whatever or or maybe the shadow people just kind of staring at people well i think you know i, I think the skinwalkers for instance they are they are shamans they're uh they're bruja they say they're witches is what they are right and um so I wouldn't. Well, <laughs> is there one around? I want to make sure there's not one in my room here. Is it talking about? <laughs> Looking over my shoulder. That'd but be cool. Though. Come on, on screen. If you're there, just come on yeah. screen and show us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I've got. John. I'm actually sitting in front of my Native American collection. All these books are Native American writers. So. I'll let you know. I think everybody everybody will let you know if if, if one pops up behind. Yeah. The yeah. So, I mean, um, you know, are they evil? Well, uh, I would say probably, yeah. Um, the Wendigo is a little bit different because in many cultures, I don't know about all of them, but many, many Native American nations or First Nations up in Canada, uh, the Wendigo is actually a spirit. You know, you know the, um, the skinwalker is not a spirit. It's an actual shaman. It's a, it's a shapeshifter. It's a human that shifts. Sure, sure. The Wendigo in a lot of cultures is actually a spirit. And frequently it's the spirit of somebody who had committed suicide. Um, and for whatever reason, that somehow makes them an evil, you know, creature. But they shapeshift at that point. So this, I mean, this, this, like you say, it goes back. I remember my grandmother. Um, she she was born and raised in Mexico, you know, across the border on her own. She used to have stories about that over in Mexico. You know, oh, yeah. Their version of that. And then she used to work on the uh, Indian reservations because that you know it was like the eighteen late eighteen. Well, I'm not saying 1800s, but but like mid early 1900s, mm -hmm. and she used to cut the hair of the Indian, you know, the Native Americans, and she learned stories from them about, you know, from like the Apache tribes and stuff. And so I grew up hearing those, and yeah, it's scary. I used to leave my lights on at night. <laughs> <laughs> well, they certainly, yeah, they certainly had their stories, um, but yeah, they're so similar. I, I mean, that's what that's what struck me when I was doing research for the book. Mm -hmm. The first thing that struck me was that there were so many different types of shapeshifters. I had no right. idea. Right. I mean, it, there's there's literally hundreds, if not more. Um, that was the first thing that I found really interesting. The second thing was um, that I found them in almost uh, every culture around the world. Um, and from a very long time ago up till today. And mm -hmm. I love the cover of that book. <laughs> that is really cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's an engraving. I think it's a German engraving from sometime like in the 1600s or something. And it's supposed to be a werewolf, um, wow. you know, a major killer kind of werewolf. That is really cool. 
So let's talk about the werewolf a little bit because, I mean, over the years, like even with Dracula, the legends change, you know, in, in the way the werewolf is. I mean, the whole silver bullet thing and all that, you know. What do you think stands out more about the werewolf from the old days as opposed to how we look at it, like the Twilight werewolf? Hmm. I think the older werewolves were more, more primal, I guess is the way to say it. I think they were more of an animal nature than what you're seeing today. You know, like you say, some of the TV shows and movies that are out now mm -hmm. where, where werewolves are depicted. Um, I think in a lot of cases, they seem to be more, uh, there's a lot more focus, I think, on their humanity rather than their their bestial nature, their animal nature, which I think was more prevalent in some of the older legends and, and folk tales and things like that. Right. Um, but I mean, that's, that's an opinion, you know. No, 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 that's fine. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think things kind of took a curve when, when, when Michael, you know, uh, Landon became the teenage werewolf, and then Michael J. Fox <laughs> became the teenage werewolf, you know? Right, right. Everything started going to a more nicer thing because, I don't know, maybe it was society, you know, didn't want that that horrible image of a werewolf. Well, look at Twilight. I mean, I mean, the, were the, the werewolves didn't kill people. They killed the vampires. Yeah, right, right. They're, they're vampire hunters. Yeah, right, right. And actually, the same thing has happened with vampires, too. You know, I, I mentioned Bram Stoker, right. but, you know, prior to him, vampires were just very... Uh, they were they were weird. When you read descriptions of people saying they saw vampires or opened up a grave and found a vampire, they were always um, they were they were bloated. You know, the corpse was bloated and actually ruddy, kind of like red, looking very healthy, very vibrant instead of um, like you know uh, Count Dracula is is white pale. And even going before him, if you think of the Nosferatu movie. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Yeah, oh, that I love that movie, and I mean, you think and think of Count Orlock. You know, he was white and pale and long fingernails. I mean, you know, so we've evolved because now the vampires are they're rich, they're sexy, they're glamorous, they're you know, they're intelligent, they're uh, you know, all kinds of wonderful things. It's nice to be a vampire today. Let's see. Yeah, Athena says werewolves were always very nasty. Yes, they were. Oh yeah, very yeah, very nasty. I grew up on those movies. You know, I grew up, I mean, my sister, I won't say how old she is, but I, I was 11 years younger than my sister. And so every weekend was Bob Wilkins, you know, and he had his horror movies on every weekend. And so they'd make me a big bowl of popcorn and sit me down with some ice water. And that's what I would do. And my mom and dad would come home and be petrified because I was only like, like three and four and five years old watching these movies. You know. <laughs> And here uh, you are today. <laughs> and my father had a real wicked sense of humor, too, because we actually went to Hungary for, for a month. And we were staying about five miles away from what would have been the original border of Transylvania. Mm -hmm. And so his wicked thing was, plus he had false teeth, so that didn't help it. <laughs> his wicked thing was, was that, okay, we're in this room. You better watch out because we're only so many miles from Transylvania and I'm going to turn into a vampire. Then he would proceed to open his mouth. Right. <laughs> I, of course, I'm like, ah, this is like 12 years old. I'm still like, ah, going through this stuff. He gave me complexes as a kid. Well, but he, you know thought what I, he thought it was tremendously funny. When I did um, research for this book, I was I was in Romania and I was in, you know, I was in Transylvania. And I visited all the locations that were supposed to be, uh, you know, familiar to the Dracula novel. Right. And, and it's really interesting in Transylvania, especially because, um, the people have different views about 
the whole Dracula thing, you know, half the population thinks, oh yeah, it's great. It's great for tourism, you know, brings in money. Everybody comes to see all the Dracula sites where he was born, where he died and all this stuff. But then other people, the other half say, you know, they don't, they don't want anything to do with it. It's a bunch of, it's, it's garbage. It's not who they are. It's not indicative of uh, the Romanian people or the Transylvania, you know, actually in Transylvania, a lot of the population there is actually Hungarian, you know? Right. Um, right. Right. So anyway, but you know, a lot of them say, yeah, well, especially the Hungarian population because um, Dracula is, is possibly based on a real life Prince of Wallachia, mm -hmm. you know, Prince Vlad right. and Vlad was um, no friend to the Hungarians as or a lot of other people for that matter. Um, so, you know, Romanians in, I should say, Hungarian, let's say, how do, how do I say this? People living in Transylvania of Hungarian descent are really not that happy with the whole Dracula stuff. Yeah. Well, plus so. when you look at the um, Bela Lugosi movies, because he didn't speak any English until much later. Right. So when you look at the different stuff in there, I mean, they were fairly accurate because when, when you know, being Hungarian and, I can't speak the language. The words are like 18, 18 letters long, guys. It's not going to happen. But there's stuff that I did recognize, the smaller words, like in the movie, like like the stores and there, you know, where they call it a bolt and, and you know, and the, mm -hmm. and, and the little cat and the, the, and the little pub thing. So it was interesting to see how much Hungarian stuff they, they actually did, you know, put into the movies. And I don't know if that's because they were trying to stick more with the folklore of the area or whether it was for Lugosi so that he could maneuver around the set and be able to, you know, do his thing. I stayed in a, one of the places I stayed in, I stayed in this hotel in Cluj in uh, Romania, just outside. And um, they maintain that that hotel was the hotel that uh, Stoker wrote about that Jonathan Harker supposedly stayed in when he was going to, you know, Count Dracula's castle. Right. Uh, they, he used a different name. But it, it's gotten to the point where this hotel now has a Jonathan Harker room um, wow. that they have it outfitted sort of Victorian style. And on their menu, they have a, they have a Jonathan Harker or something. And there was something that Jonathan Harker ordered in the restaurant when he ate there. They even said, you know, Stoker said what he ate. And that's actually on the menu at the hotel. So, they're you know, again, um, they're cashing in on the tourism part of it. You know? Right. And like you say, I agree with you. It's, it's, it's about who you talk to, too, because, I mean, I know when we were there, you know, my dad, they would laugh about our stories of Dracula. Because their stories of Dracula, of course, were Vlad the Impaler, you know, heads up on the sticks and all that going on, where ours was like, well, where's the guy in the, you know, the cape flying around? And, and so it just depends who you talk to and where you go. That's for days. sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, some of the old vampire legends as well. Now, you know, I've, I'm a big TV buff, obviously. You know, you see these graves that people like over in maybe South America would bury their, you know, would bury their dead, but they would also put steel bars over the graves or, or steel bars in the casket so they couldn't rise from the dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, that, I mean, that's, that's been found a lot of places in the world. In England, they found um, sort of iron cages um, sure. actually in the ground over it, you know, even right here in America. Back in, let's see, it would have been late 1800s, 1880s or so, there was basically a vampire panic in New England. Um, and it had to do with a, a woman named Mercy Brown, a family in, in Rhode Island. Um, 
I'll get to their story, but as a result of what they thought happened there, people were thinking that they were seeing vampires everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so what they were doing is they were they were digging up bodies and making sure, you know, cutting off heads and staking them, you know, totally desecrating human remains. But they also, when somebody died now, they were burying them under like, you know, six or seven feet of concrete. They'd lay a calf down and just pour all this cement on them, trying to keep them down, you know. Um, but the Mercy Brown thing was was really very weird. Um, like I said, it was a family. I, I think I think she was actually in Exeter, Rhode Island. I, I have to check that. Out. I think that's where they lived. But it, this is a you know it's a true story, and I don't have the exact year, 1870, 1880, something like that. But the long and short of it is that uh, Mercy Brown's uh, mother passed away from some wasting away disease. She mm-hmm. died from that, uh, and then I think she had a sister that died from that. And her brother became very ill and was so ill that the doctors said, you need to go west, you know, clear out your lungs in the nice fresh air, you know, as if Rhode Island in the 1800s was some industrial pit. <laughs> it wasn't. But anyway, so the brother goes out west, I think went to Colorado and he was there for a while. Um, meanwhile, Mercy Brown is home and she's about, I think, 18 now. And uh, she passes away from this same sort of wasting disease. Uh, the brother is no better in Colorado. So the family, the left, their father has left and whatever they say, well, let's bring him back. So he comes back to Rhode Island and he's taking a turn for the worse. So for I, I still know how this happens, but somehow the family that's that's left and the people of the town think that, well, Mercy Brown is a vampire and she's dead. But she's the one that's now preying on her brother. And she somehow caused the death of these, all these other people even before she died. So they, and this this is a horrible, you know, it's a true story, though. Um, it was reported in the Providence Journal, which is the newspaper that's still in Providence, Rhode Island. And there was a reporter there. They went to Mercy Brown's grave. And they opened it up. And they they cut out her heart. And they they burned it. And it was just ashes. And they took the ashes and they mixed them in a potion of some kind that they gave the brother. Made him drink it thinking this is going to cure him. You know, well, you know, he died. <laughs> but this this thing caused such a panic. Um, mm-hmm. And the odd thing is that tuberculosis had, had been known by name. People knew what tuberculosis was at that right. time. And yet they still chose... This and it's spread throughout New England where people are thinking there's this rash of vampire vampirism, and yet they knew about tuberculosis, they knew that was a wasting disease that would gradually they called it consumption, right. but they knew what it was, they knew it was a disease, they knew it wasn't caused by vampires, and yet they chose to believe that vampires were behind this. And so, like I said, Helly's graves being opened up, and it just makes me wonder how it is that you can convince a whole lot of people of something that despite all the facts and truth and evidence that you lay before them, they say, mm, yeah, no, but we're going with vampires. I mean, it, it is crazy. It's not to do with our political situation today too. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, what I, happened in recent history here, okay? So yeah. yeah. I mean, but you know, it just, it, but I guess the point is this happens, right? Yeah, People can, yeah. be, can be convinced of something despite all evidence to the contrary. The other thing I was thinking about, too, is I think some of, like in South America, some of these stories got started because um, the old days when people were going to comas and nobody really knew what a coma was. Right. And some would be buried alive. So they'd yeah. go to move the body or something. Oh, they, they would open up the grave 
open up the casket and there would be scratch marks on the inside. Right. So that probably led to a lot of this too. I mean, that's what led to the Victorian age here in the United States of them putting bells, you know, on, on graves for the, for the first month or so. So you know, they could hear them. But I think that probably, I mean, if, if you were, I'm not going to say really high, highly educated or whatever, you know, and um, you went to move your mother or you went to move your brother and then you opened the thing up to move him and then you found all these scratches on the inside, it might lead you to think that maybe he had become a vampire or something along that line. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, you say, well, they're trying to get out there alive, you know, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that thing about the bells. So, you know, just saying saved by the bell. Yeah. That's exactly what it means is that, and if your audience doesn't know it, there was a, a contraption that was basically a string that was in the coffin and it was funneled up through a, like a, a tube up to the surface of the ground where there was a bell. So the idea is if you came to in your casket, you just pull the string and the bell outside will be ringing and somebody's going to come dig you up. Well, okay. If somebody is standing by the bell 24 yeah. <laughs> seven, you know, you know, I live in Ohio. I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. And Ohio became the center for making these inventions uh, to prevent, well, for one thing, like if somebody came alive, you know, was resurrected in their coffin uh, or came alive in their coffin again, but also to prevent grave robbing, which was big, you know, selling the bodies to medical school. Um, Ohio was the invention of so they invented so many, they were the center of these inventions. And one thing they invented was a, there two things. One was a bomb that if you opened a grave and stepped down into it, you would pull yourself up. Oh, um, that was there. And another one was, um, it was a gun. It was like a shotgun that was somehow rigged in the coffin. So if you open the coffin, this shotgun's going to blow off in your face. I mean, I've seen the patents and design. This is That's amazing crazy. stuff. But. Amazing. I mean, yeah. Well, it sends out a nice It sends out a good message, too. I mean, if you're, yeah. you're going to open a yeah. grave, you're going to end up in it. I mean, it's simple. Right. But my agent right now is is trying to sell a novel that is a historical novel um, with a little bit of uh, torpedo know, bombs. It's in a, a little bit of a and, and the first it opens up with a guy trying to steal a grave and getting himself blown up. You know, so that's crazy. That's crazy. But you know, like 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 with the shapeshifters, the history of them. I mean, there's just so many in the world, so many versions of them. Come, you know, come that you hear about. You know, you you think about. Um, what you call it, ranch? Oh, my mind is like jello. You know, Skinwalker Ranch. You think about that. That's that's what modern people think about when they think about shape, you know, shapeshifters. That's what they think about the Skinwalker Ranch, pretty much. But I mean, there's so, like I said, there's so many stories. You know, there's a book out called Tr uh, Trucker Ghost Stories. I think it's a book. Okay. And they talk about a lot of this because, like I said, those guys are out on the roads late at night, and they're out in these rural areas, maybe on an Indian reservation in the middle of nowhere, somewhere in the desert, and they'll come across these things. You know, yeah. see well, I say that's where a lot of the stories you hear from skinwalkers are, or truckers, or just people driving out in these long desert roads, middle of the night. You know, and look out your window, and there's this animal keeping pace with your car, and you're doing eighty. Yeah, <laughs> and he's yeah. he's right beside you. You know, yeah, um, and then disappearing just off into the woods, or off to it's off into the desert, or something. <clears throat> no, I've always wondered because you know, like when when you hook in, I mean, as a journalist, of course, we're looking at the you know the the reality of what could be going on with stuff. But, you know, as you keep reading this stuff and reading this stuff, it always made me wonder, even with the Sasquatch that, uh, you know, cause people always think it's an offshoot of, of us, 
but you know the aliens for years allegedly have been taking us to do to do experiments they take our dna they're trying to build a better they're trying to build a better person or whatever i always wonder if these things might not be accidents you know where where they have tried to create stuff and it hasn't oh. quite come out the way they plan and then they just send it back <laughs> or one gets out of the lab and or one gets out of the lab yeah runs up who knows? I, I think I think a lot of the cryptids that people talk about, like Sasquatch and Nessie and some of these other ones, um, to me, it just seems like I think it's very possible that these are just some type of animal species or something that has been, you know, able to remain hidden for mm-hmm. who knows how long. And now, as as you know, the wild lands of the Earth are shrinking and population, human population is increasing. We're starting to come across them. I don't necessarily think they're anything like aliens or anything. I right. just think there's something unknown that we haven't, you know, met before. Right, right, right. So who knows? Um, yeah. There's a legend up here, right? Uh, not, not by close to where I live, but you know, about I, I would think maybe Marisa can correct me on this. About 30 miles away or so, and uh, in Napa, called Rebobs. And I had never heard of them before until I saw them on some yeah. TV program. And I don't know if you heard of them, but. Yeah. This it was supposed to be a doctor that lived up in the wine country, and he had some kind. Of, they think it was a government contract. And what he was supposedly doing was he was taking monkeys, and making them fly, put, and putting wings on these monkeys. <laughs> and it's the like of Oz. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why, you know. And there's a paranormal group, and I don't know if they're still around, but they used to be called the Flying Monkeys. You know? <laughs> and supposedly you know somewhere along the line they got loose and they're all over up in the hills up there and there's a lot of people have the locals have stories about seeing them at night i think personally i think it's owls they're seeing because they'll say they'll they'll go down this road because the south the house is still there there's a big gate and they'll park their car and they'll look up and they'll see these big red eyes you know looking back at them from the trees you know or the other legends are they get chased and i think that's how this stuff starts i mean it just starts as something right. Small and then it goes boom, 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 boom. The next thing you know, hey, yeah, I saw that. You know, it's just like when you go to interview for a paranormal investigation and you've got a whole family involved, you don't want to interview them all together because they'll each one will build up on the other's sighting, right? You know, you have to interview people alone. And I think that's how that happens is because so, so many people talk about this stuff that after a while the truth gets all twisted. Well, I think that's true. I mean, that's what that's what folk tales are all about. Folk legends, you know, there could be some grain of truth in it if you go back far enough that there was some animal or something that somebody saw. And next thing you know, they said, "Well, it was, you know, two feet high." And you tell that to somebody else, and they tell they say it was three feet high, and then they would turn out it was four feet high. Next thing you know, you've got some twelve foot monster. You know, Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that that's it's part of the difficulty in tracking down the truth is, is trying to separate um, legends and, and hearsay and, you know, erroneous reports from what is factual. Again, what is factual? What scares you the most about shapeshifters? I think um, oddly enough, Charlotte, I don't think it was like a particular shapeshifter as much as just the idea of um, the sort of, desire of some people to become something other than what they were. And what I, what I mean by that is <clears throat> I was thinking of some people uh, like some of our serial killers, you know, like somebody like Ted Bundy, for instance, who, when you saw Ted Bundy was a very clean cut 
you know, collegiate looking guy, uh, mm -hmm. very friendly, outgoing. He helped people, helped little ladies with their groceries, you know, all this kind of stuff. Right. Right. And yet he was this horrible monster. He was a killer. He was, a, you know, he was a sadist and a killer. And so there was something inside him that was much different than what you saw on the outside. So I guess in doing all this research, I just started thinking about how that plays out in sort of real life. I mean, we, we have, we have shapeshifters among us. We have people like that, that for all appearances seem to be something other than what they really are. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, I, and I thought just thinking about that was, you know, kind of scary. I mean, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, now I, I know you put a lot of research, you had to put a lot of research and travel into this book. How long did it take you to put the book together? Well, if you count the research too, um, I mean, if you count the, the traveling as, as part, well, it was part of the research, I would say probably about uh, a year and a half to do the research, which isn't really all that much. Um, and then maybe another year to write it and, and finally have it, you know, see it in print. So were people willing to talk to you about this stuff? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there was any case where they weren't, um, well, like I said, you know, maybe a little bit again in Transylvania, as I mentioned, there was some people that said, yeah, I, yeah, just Dracula back, you know, and wouldn't want to talk about it. Um, not that they were afraid; they just thought it was a bunch of, you know, yeah, crap. Bunch of yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but no, I, I think for the most part, um, people were cooperative, um, and yeah, I, I think probably because I, I went in with the attitude that I wasn't trying to. Um, you know, embarrass them or make fun of them or, or debunk them or call them liars. I just said, hey, you know, I, I hear there's stories from this area, this region. You know, what what do you know? You know anything about that? If they say, yes, well, can you tell me your story? So, or what you know. So I, I think, you know, going in like that you know, with an open mind and sort of a, a non-confrontational approach mm -hmm. really works, you know, so. I'm just so fascinated that you took this project on because, I mean, this this isn't a small project. I mean, it's one thing to say, no. okay, I'm going to work on something that's happening here in the U.S., but I mean, this is an all over the world thing. <laughs> yeah, right. And and I have to I have to admit that um, after putting this book together, and I look at it now, and it's almost like I'm just covering just like the surface level at this point, mm -hmm. uh, because there's so much. I mean, I could have gone into every one of these countries, and really, you know driven down and delved down deeper into their, their lower, their lore um, reports, you know, whatever, and probably have done a book on every country. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot more that could have been done. Um, but I was just trying to, just trying to get it out. And so I, you know, I even say, I think I even say it in the beginning of the book that I'm not trying to uh, say this is the be all end all in shapeshifter books, mm -hmm. um, but it's a really broad approach. And I wanted that because I think, I, I think, the term shapeshifter could be used in so many different ways. The monsters that we talked about, the human monsters that I talked about when I mentioned Ted Bundy, right. as well as just the idea, not even a monster idea, but the idea of um, sort of delving into who we are and, and who we want to be, who do we think we are, um, and, you know, the different hats that we wear at different times and that kind of thing. So um, anyway. Do you think some of it has to, like you said, the different hats that we wear, do you think some of it has to do with people trying to, you know, I'm talking like old-timey people, old-timey old people 
didn't have all the medical knowledge that we have. Like, like you were talking about Ted Bundy, you know, do you think this is how people were, were dealing with people like, like Bundy or like, you know, I mean, even look at the Salem witch trials, all those women got burned at the stake. They really weren't witches, but they got burned because they were doing different things that, that nobody understood. So sorcery, sorcery. Right. So maybe, you know, back way back when maybe these people had mental issues or whatever, and that's what they did in order for them to be able to face that reality that these people had issues. This is what they, they created. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you're exactly right. And I can give you a couple of examples uh, in the book, in the chapter about werewolves. I talk about um, three or four cases, documented cases of mostly from France. I think there's one or two from Germany about people um, 18th century or so, 1700s, 1600s, maybe even earlier, who actually believed that they were werewolves and so acted out and, and killed people, murdered people. And, and did it as if they were animals, literally tearing people apart with their hands, sometimes eating them, you know. Um, so early on, when these cases happened, um, when the people were apprehended, when these guys were apprehended, and not just guys, actually some were women as well. But when they were apprehended, they were immediately executed, you know, right. uh, because they were, they were evil. They were, um, the devil was in them and turned them into werewolves and all this kind of stuff. But by the time it got to the 18th century, like the 1700s, with cases like that, when people were finally arrested, even after committing these horrendous crimes, they were usually committed to an asylum mm -hmm. um, because they realized at that point, you're a nutcase, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> you got something wrong with you. So so there's that shift, you know, not knowing at first, understanding mental, uh, mental conditions and mental illness. And then over a period of time, 100 years later, a century later, saying, yeah, that, that's, you know, that's just wrong. And we have the term, like, yeah, I was going to say, we have lycanthropy. Yeah, thank you. That's exactly right. Which simply means, you know, thinking that you're a uh, werewolf. So, well, I, you know, I think about some of the term, and even now in the modern days, some of these, like Richard Trenton Chase, people like that, right away the news media will say, oh, the vampire. He's a vampire. So there right. is, they're still kind of doing that now with, with, with these guys, too. Right, right. There's a. Um, there's a whole, well, there's a couple of communities in the U.S. and maybe abroad as well, I don't know, of people who call themselves sanguinarians. Yep. Right? And uh, they they say that they need to uh, ingest human blood to live. Uh, and they have people, I mean, it's, it's amazing. You know, they're not vampires. They don't jump out at you in an alley and bite your neck. No. Um, but here's something I, I don't. I, I read a little bit about it. I'm, I'm hard pressed to find any medical basis for what, what they claim, but I'm also not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist, you know, uh, but you know, they have people who serve as their, I'll call it hosts for better, better word. And it's a voluntary thing. They sign a contract um, and they donate blood very hygienically as if they were donating blood at a red cross center. Uh, it, it's, it, it's strange. Right. But people say, oh, these are vampires. Well, no, not, not really. But they're, no. Yeah, it's just whatever they're doing. Um, excuse me. Did you have nightmares doing this when you wrote? <laughs> Honestly, I think I would. I, I think it was it really affect me. No, um, not yet. Uh, I'll let you know. But, uh... <laughs> did you run into? Did you run into any negativity? I mean. Literally, when you went to ask the people, you know, to find out about this stuff, or maybe someone didn't want to part with the information, and they just thought, 
you 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 were totally like stepping you know stepping on over the line on it. Um, I ran into some negativity after the book came out, uh, not so much during research, right? But I particularly I I ran afoul of okay, let me back up. I, a lot of a lot of different magazines and journals reviewed my book, mm-hmm. and one of them that reviewed it was a a Catholic uh, journal, a Catholic magazine, oh, which. Oh, <laughs> which I have to say, surprised the heck out of me. Why they would have chosen to review my book, I don't know. Um, but they took some some issue with some of the things that I said about the Bible and about shapeshifters in the Bible. Because um, I, I go into that a little bit. Because there, there does seem to be some, it's depending on how you look, you know, no one knows, interpreting the Bible is very difficult. But there are some passages in some areas where it looks like, um, you know, there could be, there could be some vampires there, or, or uh, shapeshifting, right? And they took exception to it, especially when I when I asked the question, "Could Jesus have been a shapeshifter?" Uh, they didn't like. Oh, that. I'm sure that went over well. Yeah, yeah they, didn't like, they didn't like that. But my my theory was, if you if you are a Christian and you believe in Jesus and you believe that all He can do walk on water, raise the dead, cure the blind, the lame, shapeshifting would be a parlor trick for him that wouldn't be that hard to do (laughs) so what you know what's your beef you know but anyway so i you know i got a little negativity from from that quarter of the world Um, i can understand that though because i'm not going to do it on on the air because i'm catholic but there are you know there's double speak and everything else about ghosts and everything else there is a double speak and people don't realize it but there is so yeah. I can see them, ha- you know, having issues with what you're doing. I understand. Me too. That, you know? I was raised a Catholic. I mean, you know, I, I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> how do you how do you think? Okay, like we talked about earlier, you know, the, the difference in how people feel about that stuff now as opposed to then. Now, Tim, in my in my opinion, I mean, people now embrace it. I mean, it's like a game, and I think it's because the media and and movies and stuff have changed what what the original intention was when people were seeing these things. You know, like you say, now they look like movie stars. Yeah, right, right. Well, you know, you know there's, vegetarians, there's, they drink the blood of animals, blah, blah, blah. You know? right. <laughs> right, right. Well, there's this whole industry, this cosplay industry, right? Where people, you know, dress up as, as superheroes and Star Trek characters and, you know, Lord of the Rings and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, that's just, uh, that's just, it's become very popular as part of the culture. And, and yes, the people, as you say, they've embraced it, I think, in a lot of ways. Not just shapeshifters, but almost almost anything that is um, mythological or mm-hmm. fantastical or, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the evolution on the shapeshifters, this stuff that goes back to ancient times. I mean, look at the Greek, you know, look at Greek mythology. Right. Because Zeus could, sh- could could change shapes. Oh yeah, yeah. And, he, and he did it dozens of times, and always a different form. Yeah, um, yeah. So it goes back. But the interesting thing is, when you go back that far, if you look at um, Greek mythology, Roman mythology, uh, the the shapeshifters then were all they were all gods. Mm-hmm. You know, mortals mortals didn't do it, uh, and frequently. Shape the uh, shape shifting occurred because some god would 
would curse somebody and say, okay, you, you know, you're a tree now or whatever. And it's like, well, what I do, you know? So, so you had no power, but by the time, um, as we evolved and they got, you know, and sort of these old gods of myth mythological origins kind of died out and people didn't believe them anymore. There was still that idea about shape-shifting and it sort of devolved to humans in the sense of people who were considered to be sorcerers or wizards or shamans or witches, you know, human beings who now are saying, well, now they have the power. So it's kind of interesting how it went from the gods, a special power reserved for the gods to now humans, mm -hmm. but humans have a little special nature than your right. average, you know, next door neighbor. And I was just thinking, as you said that too, you know, old timey medicine, like who knows way back, way back, way back because of rabies, you know, the whole thing with the werewolf, Fighting the man so they could create another werewolf. I mean, that could have come from somebody that had been bit by a dog that had rabies, and then people watched the transformation, and that's how that'll come out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. There's there's diseases that you know mimic a lot of what people think these monsters became. You know, wow. uh, and yeah, and again, as we were lacking that knowledge, we didn't know what to attribute it to. So it must have been something weird or, or mythological or along those lines so fascinating though i just i wish i could get into writing a book like that you know right now i'm just trying to produce my two books and get them out you know and, and maybe i can start looking into stuff like that because that's just to me i i love doing research man the more research i can i used to love going to court you know because they'd make me do these have to look through all the files and everything and i loved every second of it yeah and uh, to do what you do I, i'm just in awe of you well, the, the research is is a lot of fun, I have to say. I mean, especially, you know, if you're going to do the traveling and everything else. Because I always I always try to get to the locations if I can. And it's not always possible. But Right. You know, right, fun. right, right. But that's part of the fun, too. Like, you, you know, you, you went to Europe and asked people questions about it and all that. I would love to be able to do that, you know. Yeah. Maybe I'll get there. Who knows? Who you knows? can do it. <laughs> what impressed you the most about your research on this book? Well, as I said, I, I think again, just the uh, the depth and breadth of of the shape shifting world. I had no idea. Um, you know, I started looking at, at Japan, Japanese culture, and their shapeshifters were entirely different than anything we have here. They're not even close. You know, uh, I mean, here a shapeshifter is a human being that shapeshifts into something else, right? Uh, in Japan, most of their shapeshifters are actually they're dead. They're mostly ghosts. Right. That then come back in other forms to usually seek revenge on somebody or, you know, get back at whatever. Um, but so I guess just I guess just the complexity of the, the whole shapeshifter culture. It just I, I really was just I sat there and said, holy cow, how do I how do I write this? This was <laughs> it was impressive, but it was overwhelming as well. Well, you know, let's talk about Japan for a minute, because people don't, I've seen that. I've seen Japan horror movies. And they're yeah. scary. Yeah. They really yeah. have some scary stuff over there. Yeah, they do some good movies. You know what I know? It's like, it's like when you go to Europe or you're in France, and my, my dad noticed this on the TV. What they're allowed to show on TV and stuff and in the movies over there is completely different from what our censors are allowing over here. Right. So when you get a hold of a, of a non-censored Japanese horror movie, you're going to get the, the pants scared off you <laughs> from those legends. But yeah. they really have some scary you know, legends. Yeah, and they're mostly um, they're mostly all ghost stories for the most part. If you think about it, you know, I don't 
like I, I'm trying to think of like a Japanese werewolf, for instance, or were creature of some kind. Mm -hmm. And I don't I don't come up with that. Um I do know there are shape-shifting Japanese forms, like there's a fox called a kitsune. There's a uh oh I forgot some of the other ones already, but um but they're not the same thing as werewolves or or, or that kind of sort of ferocity. But they have a, a fantastic range of weird creatures that are shapeshifters. They're not all ghosts, like I said, but there's some that are just uh, there's like something called a kappa, which is like a it's like a frog. <laughs> it's like a frog, and it has it has kind of a flat head with sort of like an indentation in the head, and there always has to be water sitting at that indentation, like a little lake on top of his head. Uh, if ever if ever that spills out, you know, he loses all his abilities. But these things, they look like harmless little frogs. They, oh, they're so cute. And apparently they do a lot of good things for Japanese people. They play tricks and do good things for them. Then right. they also kill them and eat them too. So you got that. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and like, again, going back through history, I mean, like you think about Merlin and King Arthur and stuff, you know, shape-shifting. You know, right. he taught King Arthur to shape-shift and into a fish and into a, you know, and into an eagle to see, to see, you know, to, to check out the kingdoms and all this. I mean, it, it just, there's so much of it in history, you yeah. know, going way back, even medieval times. So I just, I just think it's, it's a fascinating topic. And like I said, at the beginning of the show, I, I know a lot of people around me are terrified. It's, it's scary for people because, you know, they have that ability that one minute you're talking to someone, so on the next minute their own fangs and, <laughs> and whatever else. Right. They're doing, right. You know? Well, and I have to say too that, you know, not, I mean, my, my research showed that not every shapeshifter is an evil being. Okay. I mean, that's not true at all. There's a lot of them that, um, that. that, yeah, a lot of them that do good things, you know, uh, whatever. Um, I mean, in Italy, there's shapeshifting fairies that, you know, bring favors to people and do things for them. So, I mean, it's not, it's not all gloom and doom. <laughs> Yeah, that was going to be my, my my other question was that, yeah, we've we sat here tonight and we, we've talked about all this gloom and doom. But like you say, there are the flip side of that to where there's there's good ones. Yeah, yeah. And there's some like I want to mention in Japan that it, it's weird. They, they will do good things for some people and other people they'll treat horribly, you know. So it, it's not even like a in a sense, they're even shape shifting in their own behavior. You right. Know? So, um, right, right, right. Yeah. Right. So what's next for you? Well, I'm working now on a uh, sort of paranormal, well, it's, it's a paranormal fantasy sort of uh, trilogy, three novels that takes place in 18th century England. Um, working on that while my agent is still trying to sell a couple of other paranormal books, novels. So all fiction. I'm working in fiction these days pretty much more than anything. That's cool. That's cool. And um Here's one of my favorite questions. We've, I don't know if I asked you this last time or not because we were having all that issue. <laughs> You're standing on a street in Las Vegas on the strip. And there's a couple more guys that have books similar to what you wrote on shapeshifting. Hmm. How do you get people to read your book? I steal the other guy's books. Set <laughs> <laughs> them on fire in the middle of the strip. No, so I'm the only one left. Um, well, that's, that's a good question. And I think, you know, I hate to sound like, okay, well, I'm, I'm bragging because first of all, I'm not sure I found any other books just on shapeshifters. That was okay. the one thing. Um, but I, I think also, I, I think that 
because I expand the definition of shapeshifter so much and talking to not just what we know about shapeshifters as pop culture or in mythology, but I also go into the psychology a lot about why people are enamored of shapeshifters and what shapeshifting might mean for us as humans. I just think it's a much broader treatment of a shapeshifter. And that's how I would sell it. I think that, you know, I think the other books would probably just be, yes, there's vampires and there's werewolves and, you know, because it took a lot of time and effort to get, to get all this stuff out. Absolutely. I can see that. I, mean, I can understand that. Tons and tons of research. And like I said, I, I, I really admire you for doing it. John, thank you. We had a great interview today. Thank you, Charlotte. No technical difficulties. Perfect. <laughs> Lots of people in the chat room commenting. And uh, well, that's all I can say. I would love to get you on again when you get your news, uh, uh, your new books out. Because I know yeah. you have other books besides this. Yeah, well, all my books are, you know, they're all on Amazon. They're on, you can get them at your bookstore, hopefully. But if not, they're on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you know. And my website is johnkachuba.com. You can get them that way too, so. Okay, well, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Charlotte. I appreciate it. And I would love to have you back, okay? Sometime. Thanks. You're on my list, buddy, okay? Okay, All right. thanks. Have a good one. Bye-bye. That was great. Learned a lot about shapeshifters. There were no technical glitches, so we finally got to get a good interview in. I was excited about that tonight. I want to thank you guys for coming. But what I also want to do is remind you that, you know, we are going to be doing a ghost tour and uh, there's more details coming up on the website at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. So keep an eye out for that. And I got to leave over here real quick. I see, I got to see some on my computer. Okay. Anyway, I want to thank you guys again. I want to thank you guys for coming. And uh, if you if you like the show, share it with five. Oh, for, you know what? I'm way ahead of myself. Tomorrow, we're going to be on at 1 p.m. Pacific. Because Lynn Andrews, a shaman who, uh, is, uh, from what I understand and people I've talked to, she is a top-of-the-line shaman, and she's going to be talking about healing. Doing healing work and more, and, and what, you know, what got her into doing her, her shamanic work as well. So she's going to be on with us tomorrow at 1 p.m. Okay, Pacific. So be sure to be there. Um, I think that's it. Am I done? Yeah, okay. So <laughs> hard to remember. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're equal opportunity here. If you've been watching from YouTube tonight, there is a little ghost guy down at the, I think, the right-hand corner, and he has a Sherlock Holmes hat on. He also has a magnifying glass, okay? And with that magnifying glass, that's where you click to subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's over, there's more than 190 videos over there. And uh, every every kind of topic you could possibly think of. Because we've been doing this show for, this is our second year doing the show. Okay, this is our 104th episode for this season. So we've done 104 episodes in September. Pretty cool. Okay. So uh, please subscribe because we're always looking for subscribers. Okay. Also, you can find that my paranormal team at CaliforniaHaunts.org. And again, visit. be sure to visit the radio website at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. You can find our videos there. This video went live. And if, like, if you have trouble finding the YouTube site, most people will Google California Haunts on YouTube and it'll, it'll pop up for you. But if you have trouble finding it, you can do it from the website. Click on the video on the front page of the website. It'll take you over to the YouTube page. And then you can go from there. That's how you can find them. Or... Go up in the archives on our website. It has all the videos for this year listed there. Okay. 
I'm also starting to catalog our Blog Talk Radio stuff. We go back 10 year, ten to 15 years on Blog Talk Radio doing the shows. All right. Um, for people that listen on the podcast, if you listen to iTunes or at, you know, the Apple Podcasts or, or I, you know, iHeartRadio or, t- or TuneIn, we're over there too. But on Apple especially, you're going to find not only this, this version of the show, but you'll find the Blog Talk version of the show as well. So all those guests are on there. So there's a so we're out there, we're around, and like if you're driving in your car and you want to get informed about shapeshifters or shadow people, this is the way to do it. Turn turn on the uh, RSS feed stuff, okay? Um, as you can see, we got a ticker tape running at the bottom of the page. Again, uh, we're a nonprofit organization, so everything you see here comes out of my pocket. You know, if a computer breaks or a camera breaks or a light breaks or a mic goes down, I have to pay for it out of my pocket. And I love doing this. I love bringing, you know, shows to you guys. I love doing this. this. is what I do. I'm a journalist. This is what I do. But I want to keep doing this. This is this is what I love to do. My producer wants to keep doing this. So if you could donate a little bit to paypal.me at California Haunts, I'd appreciate it. Or again, if you have trouble with PayPal, you're not comfortable with it, donate through Venmo. Go to Venmo and then just type in California Haunts and we pop right up. That would be great. I would really appreciate it. The bill... You know, my, my bill cycle is coming up, and I've got, to, I've got to pay, 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 just like everybody else. But I want to thank you guys for coming. And do check out, we even have a, a meetup. If, if you're interested in joining a meetup, <clears throat> Google California Haunts. We, we have a meetup over there. And that's where a lot of our events are advertised. But again, I want to thank you guys for coming. And I appreciate it. And I will see you tomorrow, excuse me, <clears throat> at 1 p.m. Pacific. Have a good evening.